Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Selene. And as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I'm so excited. I have on Brittany from No Food Fears on Instagram. I'm going to link all her stuff below and I'm so honored to have her here. And I'm happy to know that she lives in New York as well, which is so exciting. Yeah. Welcome, Brittany. <laughs> Thank you, New York girls. I love it. I know. I, I don't know why I never realized that you lived in New York. I think it's hard to tell based on social media where people live, especially during a pandemic when you're not really posting, you like, know, oh, to- I'm here. Oh, I'm there. Yeah, exactly. Same. Exactly. But thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you this morning. Me too. And also guys, she is a co-host of her own podcast. So we are going to link that below because you have some amazing guests on there and you talk about some great stuff as well. So I'm always excited to um, have other dietitians with like such great content. Yes. Thank you. So I'm the co-host of food therapy podcast. It's, um, I co-host with Lauren Sharp, who is low in lemons on Instagram. And Lauren and I actually met during our dietetic internship. I was her preceptor and she was my preceptee. And over time we recognized like we both struggle with mental health and anxiety. And, you know, we both started this journey of intuitive eating around the same time. So we really wanted to create a safe space to unpack food and nutrition and intuitive eating and body image and mental health. So definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure. And I love that because I also struggle with mental health and anxiety, you know, and I think a lot of people realize that they're struggling with it as well and how it's all kind of interconnected with like our relationship with food and our relationship with movement and our relationship with ourselves and things like that. So I think it's so great to be able to have multiple resources to kind of get insights from different individuals who are going through the same thing as you may be going through. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And I'm glad to see that mental health has become less stigmatized and less taboo even in the last like decade or so, it's so important, especially during this really difficult time, such as the pandemic and being able to speak your feelings and not be embarrassed to take medication and go to therapy. It's just so important to normalize it. So people can get the help they need when they need it. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. And I think it is also great that people are being more outspoken, not only in terms of their mental health, but their struggle with eating and disordered eating. And I think a lot of people sometimes don't recognize that they are struggling with disordered eating because they only associate like an issue with food. What if it's like a full blown eating disorder and something that I always like to like bang on the head to everyone is like, regardless of like where you are in your life or what size body you're living in, like you deserve to heal your relationship with food, whatever that may be. A hundred percent. And it's such a good point where people don't recognize there is an issue if they don't fit the the picture Mm -hmm. of someone who is sick with an eating disorder. And the truth is, as long as it is somehow consuming your mind, your thoughts, your day, it is enough reason to get help. And so kind of to take you back, like how I became a dietitian and gone to the space. I, for my entire life was always under the impression that I needed to change my body size. And I was never taught body diversity. I was never taught, you know, I was really looking at this like very standard of thinness. And I will be honest, I, I do have thin privilege and I think it's important to state that. And I always state that because there are privileges in being in a certain size body, 
but yet I still felt the desire to shrink my body. And so I went away to college. I became like very invested in this wellness journey Mm. and it ultimately became severe disordered eating. And I never was diagnosed with an eating disorder, but when I say that food and my body consumed my thoughts 24 seven, I'm not exaggerating. It consumed me to a point where I was not going out with friends for social plans. I was hungry all the time. I felt so much guilt and shame. And it wasn't until I went through my graduate program, went through my internship, was also around people with normal eating relationships where I was like, this is not working. Like whatever I'm doing to my body is not working. And it took a a long time to really adopt this idea of intuitive eating. In the beginning, I was like, this isn't for me. Like I could never trust my body. This might work for someone else, but this is not going to work for me. And that's what I hear a lot from clients because over time, like our self-trust and connection with our body erodes when you go on diets, when you hear messaging, when you're taught to restrict and to manage portion sizes, like it erodes your self-trust. And so I will, I, I like to say this because I think it's important to tell people that even if you don't think this work is for you, or you don't see this for yourself, it is possible to build and cultivate that healthy relationship with food. One that is filled with compassion and non-judgment and freedom. And you don't have to go in zero to a hundred percent to get there. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's so interesting to hear that you noticed throughout like your coursework, your graduate coursework, your internship, that you were seeing individuals that were doing the same thing as you, like in terms of like your career and your schooling. And like you said that they had like a normal relationship with food. And then it made you realize like, Hey, like, wait, everyone isn't obsessed as I am. And, you know, I think that a lot of times, sometimes people may not even be able to recognize that because when someone is constantly obsessed with shrinking their body, over-exercising, under-eating, it is praised by society. It's like, wow, you're so dedicated that you're doing this. And to really like reframe that mindset, my the take that I have on that now is like, if that's all you're thinking about and that's all you're focused on, that is a very disordered way to live. And yeah. it's exhausting, like constantly being worried about every single thing. It's insane how much time everyone has spent being obsessed with um, shrinking their body. And, you know, it's a fight that we keep having to fight to explain to people, like, it's okay. Like you don't have to go through this alone. And one thing I, I think it would be interesting if you could just give the listeners a little bit of a description of what thin privilege is. Yeah. So thin privilege, it's interesting. We obviously are all born with certain privileges, And that could be due to race, religion, um, financial privilege. Mm -hmm. The idea of thin privilege is if you reside in a body that is deemed acceptable by society, you get certain privileges. So for example, I can walk into a store or if you have thin privilege, you can walk into a store and your size clothing will be there. You can go to a doctor's office without having to be shamed by the doctor. I cannot tell you how many clients of mine say to me, Brittany, I try and go to the doctor to 
get like, you know, work on a condition and all they talk about for 45 minutes is my body is my weight is how to lose weight. I have a client currently who was denied healthcare, a really important surgery because she, her body size was too large per the doctor. So there are really dangerous discrimination that's happening, but going back to this idea of privilege, there is privilege when it comes to healthcare privilege, when it comes to clothing size privilege, when it comes to seats and movie theaters and airplanes and cars, um, you know, the seatbelt on an airplane, like having to be the one to bring your own seatbelt or having to worry that you can't, your body is not being accommodated. Like there are privileges to being in a smaller body. And I think it is so important to acknowledge privilege and to fight for others who don't have the same privileges. What I will say is being on social media, every time I talk about thin privilege, I get about, I get a lot of backlash. People get upset because they're like, well, how dare you say that I don't have issues with my body image? And that's not what thin privilege is. Thin privilege is institutional. It is not, you know, you can be in any size body and and struggle with body image. And I'm not going to take that away from anyone, but when someone doesn't have thin privilege, they are being discriminated on an institutional level. And I think it is really important to acknowledge that and acknowledge your own privileges and also acknowledge what others have to deal with on a daily basis because of their body size. Yeah. And I think for a lot of individuals who haven't had to experience those difficulties may not necessarily understand, um, them. And even something as simple as, you know, I'm, I'm in a larger size body. I actually used to be in an even larger size body. And when I was in that body, I would be worried about going to class in college because I didn't know if I would have trouble fitting into those desks, which a lot of times the spaces are like pretty small for like, you know, a regular size person. And I just, I always remember starting each class every semester being worried about it. And I didn't really think anything about it because I was just like used to it. Um, and you know, it, it was what it was. Um, but now as someone who recognizes how other people are being impacted as well in terms of healthcare. And I mean, I had a client that had the, um, lap band surgery, Mm -hmm. which is like that. It's like this plastic thing that they put around like your stomach to like shrink the size of it. And she was having very terrible side effects and the doctor literally wouldn't remove it until she lost a certain amount of weight, which is insane. By the way, I always think it is so interesting when clients are like, my doctor refuses to perform surgery on me. And they suggested I get bariatric surgery. I'm like, so you're telling me that they can perform bariatric surgery, but when it comes to any other life-saving surgery, somehow now they can't perform it. And so it's crazy. It is discriminatory and there is, there's so many holes in our healthcare system, Mm. but it truly pains me. And so when you think about how many diseases and and conditions are blamed on people in bigger bodies, which we know is not the case, we know that's not true. What isn't taking into account is stigma, weight, stigma, weight, discrimination, people in larger bodies are not getting the same level of healthcare as those in smaller bodies. And that is just fact. And so we have to take that into account when you're looking at the research. And something I always say is there is not a single 
mm-hmm. condition or health condition that only exists in those with fat bodies. Yep. Not one, not one. And I have plenty of clients in larger bodies who have absolute perfect labs. I have clients in very small bodies who have diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. And so rather than blame the body, let's take a look at what else is going on. And usually what else is going on is a genetic predisposition. A hundred percent. I had on um, another dietitian a few weeks ago and she specializes in diabetes, um, And we were talking about, I was saying how before I realized what intuitive eating was, because it wasn't so much taught in school, I kind of like happened upon it. And this was when I was um, kinds of seeing patients in outpatient physicians offices. And like, whenever I would get a new patient, they would just put the folders on the desk and I would look and see, okay, this is the diagnosis. So if it was diabetes, I didn't see their weight. I didn't see anything about them. So when they came into the office, they could have been in a larger size body. They could have been in a mm-hmm. smaller size body, but regardless, they now have a diabetes diagnosis and elevated hemoglobin A1C. And my recommendations are going to be the same, regardless of if they're exactly. underweight, overweight, or within normal limits or whatever you want to, you know, BMI is a yes. thing, but you, you guys got the drift and it's like the recommendations that we make have nothing to do with just your weight. So it's so interesting. You say that one of my friends is one of my close friends from college is a doctor and we have these like long debates all the time in these conversations. And I try to get my friends in healthcare to just see things in a different light. Mm. And so I said, and she's like, well, you know, how am I not going to bring up their weight? Like, I feel like it's my obligation. And I said, let me ask you a question. If a patient comes to you in a smaller body with diabetes, are you going to tell them to lose weight to manage their blood sugars? And she was like, no, I'm like, so why is this any different? Like you should be giving the exact same advice you give to someone in a smaller body, you know, teaching them gentle nutrition. Hey, like, why don't you go for a walk? You know, we can try to manage some of the insulin resistance that's going on. But regardless, the fact that weight is always the first thing to be said as if the person hasn't heard it 50 times before. Of course. And when someone's living in a larger body, they're a hundred percent aware of it. I guarantee it. And it's all they're told and it's all they think about because that's what the world does. By the way, not only are they aware, but oftentimes it stops them from going to the doctor in the first place because they don't want to be told for a hundred time, you know what you need to lose weight. And so that's another aspect of the research that we need to look at as well is avoidance of doctors because of all the stigma that they have. And it makes it even worse. Like, you know, if they're maybe if if a patient is pre-diabetic and then they're avoiding going to the doctor because they don't want to be weighed and then it, you know, progresses on to full on diabetes, you know, they deserve to be treated and their care should be delivered. And when you brought up that topic, it reminded me of I'm sure you saw it went like viral on social media. It was like this woman. And I think she was in the UK where she kept going to the doctor and she was having like terrible stomach pains. And it turns out she had gastric cancer Yeah, and no one diagnosed her. They were just like, oh, well, you should lose weight. And I'm like, that is imagine how many people are out there right now who may have some level, some sort of cancer or something else going on. And they're not even getting diagnosed. And it's just crazy to me how like we don't 
have discriminatory policies in place. Mm -hmm. And it's because our society is one, extremely fat phobic, but two, there is so much misinformation when it comes to health and weight. And people really believe it to be true. Like I, yeah. even doctors and physicians, and it's just, it's so incredibly harmful. And if even with my, you know, smaller Instagram following, if I can get more people to think about this in a, a critical way, and if I could get people to actually understand the research of what we're seeing, then my job is done because yeah. I, it's just, yeah, it's really and- important. And also there is a huge health impact that individuals are experiencing because of the weight stigma and the discrimination that they face in terms of their body size. And we're seeing in studies that their health outcomes are worse off, just not because of their weight, but because of the stress that they experience, which I think is very interesting to see and more of a quantitative kind of analysis, not just like us saying like, yeah, it's kind of messed up and this shouldn't be how it is, but to literally see that it increases uh, blood sugar levels and increases insulin resistance and all these types of things. Yes, absolutely. And I think it goes, um, we can talk maybe briefly about that post that you and I were kind of discussing before where you talked about how it's ironic um, when someone is in a smaller body and is diagnosed with diabetes versus someone in a larger size body. I think that would be really interesting if you could just give the listeners a little bit of a background on that post. Yeah. So what I posted on Instagram was, do you notice when someone in a smaller body has diabetes, it's automatically assumed that it is genetics. Mm. And when someone in a larger body gets diagnosed with diabetes, we immediately blame it on lifestyle. And for this, the purpose of this post, I was referring to type two diabetes, not type one, um, type, but regardless, like there is such a large genetic component. It is not just lifestyle based. And yet because someone's in a smaller body, it is never blamed on their lifestyle choices on how they're eating because for most people, thin equals healthy. When we know that's not true, weight does not determine health. You can be healthy at any size. You can be quote unquote unhealthy at any size too. And it just because you're thin doesn't mean that you, you know, are not going to get diabetes. And just because you're in a larger body doesn't mean you are guaranteed to get diabetes, but you can imagine the, (laughs) the backlash on that post I got out to play. Oh yes. People were livid and they were like, you're wrong. Like, what are you saying? People get very defensive and emotional when you one want to say like health is not determined by weight. And when you also want to support people and tell people that they shouldn't be hostile and for lack of a better word, like terrible to people in larger bodies. Um, and I, regardless, like, let's say, let's say it was caused by that. Every single person in every single size body is worthy of love. They are worthy of respect. They are worthy of equal health care. They are worthy of equal inclusive seating and everything else. And that makes me, it makes my blood boil and it makes my heart ache when I think about 
how many of my clients I see crying on the other side of a zoom screen because they just don't know what to do. They feel so helpless. Um, and I think it's, it's important for us to us as non-diet dietitians, people in this space, the non-diet space to advocate and to dismantle some of like this misinformation that is constantly being perpetuated in our society. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so important for us to just keep doing that work, even if we get some negative Nancy's out there who don't even really know what they're talking about. And I have nothing against the name Nancy. It just like popped into my head. Um, right. But, you know, it's it's frustrating because people feel so entitled to like get so worked up over something that like they don't even fully understand. And I mean, I read what you had posted and I watched the reel that you posted and I was just like, I don't even know. There was one person in particular and I'm sure you know what I'm referring to, but like, I didn't understand what they saw that they came to that conclusion. You know what I mean? It was so weird. I once heard, I don't, I don't remember if it was Evelyn Tribbley or Lise Rash, but one of them said, is the person you were talking to reachable and are they teachable? And I always think about that now, because if I'm engaging with someone on social mm-hmm. media, who is just not, they're not open to hearing other perspectives. It's not worth my mental and physical energy to try right. and teach them or to try to, you know, create some level of understanding. I honestly got into like a Twitter battle like two weeks ago. And I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, why am I engaging in this guy yeah. who has like a naked photo of himself as his like main background? Who's like a bodybuilder. I'm like, he is not teachable and he is not reachable. Like I yeah. don't need to waste any more of my energy. For sure. I think, I think part of us wants to like reach the people and try to explain. And then another part, I think we're all at the point where it's just like, you know, it's not even worth it. No, it's not. I, I, I'd rather use my energy and advocate on behalf of my clients where I can actually see real change being made for sure. And something that I always like to remind my clients or my followers, like if you're, um, getting, certain recommendations from your physician that is just weight centric, ask them what they would do if you were not at this body size that you were. And if they're still not helpful, make sure that you have them note in your chart that they are refusing to provide you with care and then find a new doctor. Um, yeah, I, Yeah. I was going to say, I love, love, love that recommendation. I say that as well. Mm -hmm. I also say if I'm for my clients, I'm like, if they start talking about your weight, be like, you know what? I'm working with a dietitian. Like, thanks so much. Have this part covered. Can we talk about X? Mm -hmm. Um, and so even being able to say that, like, I have this part covered, like there's, there's no need to talk about my weight, no need to talk about my diet. Can we, you know, move forward? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I know sometimes it's scary to kind of stand up for yourself in that way, especially when we've been so conditioned to just listen and say, okay, like whatever. Um, I always um, tell them not to weigh me at the doctor. I don't have a condition that requires, you know, I'm not on dialysis where they need to know my weight so that they know how much water risk of heart failure. There are very minimal reasons, like there are a very short list of reasons. Correct um, why you need to be weighed. And I'm the exact same. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to get weighed today. Like I'm, I'm going to deny weight. And then people are like, okay. Like, yeah, it's like, oh wait, can we do that? Right. <laughs> Is that right. allowed? Yes. I've never and had again, anyone I, say anything, but. And, 
and again, I want to, I want to acknowledge my privilege here because, you know, I, I can say that and maybe they'll give me a free pass, but maybe for someone else, they won't, if they find that weight is somehow problematic in that patient. So, you know, as much as you can advocate knowing that there has probably been trauma and there has been experiences with your doctor. And unfortunately there just aren't enough. He's aligned physicians and non-diet physicians. And one of my goals is to curate some type of like list for different States, just so people reach out and be like, do you, I've had people in my DMS who are like, Brittany, I'm so desperate. Do you know of a gastroenterologist who is not going to cause harm? And I don't, I I really don't have as big of a list as I would like. Same. It's very difficult. And sometimes I I happen upon um, providers who when the patient explains like what we're doing, or if I like write a letter to send with them beforehand, they kind of get on board and they're like, you know what? Like, wow. Okay. This person's very thorough. They read your lab work and they're like, of course I'm thorough. That's my job. Yeah. Um, but you know, they kind of get on, on the train, but set for full on hazeline um, providers, it's very, very difficult. Even in New York, where we have like probably a lot of doctors at our fingertips, yeah. And, and, and more who you would like think would be like progressive or at least no, like there's, there's very few. So now I have a list of doctors who I've heard from other clients have not caused harm. So they're not necessarily hazel lines. They're not, mm. but they're not making their weight the absolute focus. And if that's like the next step, like it's better than nothing. But of course I would love to see a world where doctor's offices have inclusive seating. Yeah. Have, um, you know, just more inclusivity in general in their practice. And I'm really hoping that over time we can get to a place where there are more physicians who have that, keep that in mind. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'll, I'll definitely share with you the list that I have, which is not very long in New York. Um, and you know, we just have to keep trying to find people that get it. And it's just always a work in progress. Yes, it really is. And so one other thing that I think would be cool to talk about is what you and I discussed prior to like us recording, which is like the nuances of intuitive eating and how for a lot of people who who are still maybe currently trying to, you know, intentionally lose weight and they're afraid to lose control. um, Some of the misconceptions that you think people have in terms of intuitive eating. Yeah. So I, I really, I believe that intuitive eating can feel very scary in some ways. It can feel almost like cult-like, like I have to be a hundred percent in or therefore I'm not doing it right. And the truth is you can really do intuitive eating at your own pace, how you feel ready. What I will say is, and I think it's important to note, intuitive eating is not a diet. Intuitive eating is not going to help you intentionally lose weight. And I do think that's important to note, but what I will also say is if you still want to pursue weight loss and you still feel like you will only be happy if you lose weight, like most people in this space can hold space for you and can understand given the society that we live in, like it makes sense that it's really hard to let that part go. But I don't want that to be the reason someone doesn't get the help they need in healing their relationship with food. And so can you place that desire kind of on the back burner 
and start to adopt some of the principles of intuitive eating. And again, you don't have to go from zero to hundred. You don't yeah. have to believe in it hundred percent, but can you start to have more compassion for yourself? Can you start to reduce some of that negative self-talk? Can you start to honor your hunger, giving yourself permission to eat some of the fear foods? And again, this is going to be a process. So yeah. no one expects you to go from zero to hundred but I want to create that nuance in intuitive eating, because even if you don't buy into it hundred mm. percent right away, there are ways to adopt some of intuitive eating. So you can start that process of healing your relationship with food. And really intuitive eating is basically the only way to kind of do that. You know, you don't necessarily have to follow the book and this and that, and all the steps and all the principles, but if whatever you're doing right now is still causing you to have such a fearful relationship with food and not trusting yourself and beating yourself up and causing binges or overeating, eating past comfort, feeling sick and, you know, anxious around food, that is not sustainable. And like, you don't have to live your whole life like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you deserve to heal your relationship with food, regardless of where your weight status is. I completely agree. And what I will also say is if you have been pursuing weight loss for two years, five years, 10 years, has it worked? And not only has it worked, has it been sustainable? And I don't just mean keeping the weight off. I mean, mentally and emotionally sustainable and physically sustainable, you know, with the diet industry, their main goal is to make you think that it's your fault. It's your fault. You don't have enough discipline. You don't have enough willpower, but our bodies are designed to protect us. And the body doesn't know if you have self-imposed famine because you're trying to restrict Mm -hmm. and diet, or if you're in a jungle with like lions chasing after you (laughs) can't eat. It just knows that like you have to protect yourself. So I always say that because I can see the pain. I can see the frustration. I can see the shame that people have when they can't lose weight and keep it off. And it is not your fault. Like your body is doing exactly what it's meant to do to keep you at a weight where it feels like that is the weight that you need to be at for your body. For sure. And I think it's scary for people to come to the realization that it's not necessarily the weight that they thought it would be or would like it to be. Totally. Um, And I think the more we talk about body size diversity and how it is genetically imprinted on us, where like our bodies are meant to be within a certain range. Um, and that's like where it's happiest, you know, as long as you're eating consistently, trying to have balance, moving your body in ways that make you feel good without being too rigid and things like that, wherever you end up falling without really trying too hard for anything and just living your life. That's where it wants to be. And it may not be, you know, the size that you thought it should be. And also, especially with women, like if you're having children, like your body completely changes after during pregnancy, after pregnancy, like you birth humans, which is amazing. And expecting your body to like, quote unquote, go back to like where it was is just very unrealistic. Yes. And I will say, I think there is a sense of grief that often happens where you might look at old photos of yourself when Mm. you were disordered, or it's like grieving the body that you've always dreamed that you would have the clothing that you purchased for this desired body. And that can be so hard, but at the same time, we have to recognize like at what cost, like at what cost are you willing to 
just, you know, harm your body. And that's what it is. Like when you're restricting calories, when you're not nourishing your brain, when you're, you know, you're eliminating food groups, like that's causing harm. And so again, holding space for that grief, but also knowing that that feeling is not going to last forever can be really important. Yeah, for sure. I think that those are all great points. And I know we talked about a bunch of um, different topics, which I hope everyone found useful. Brittany, are there any closing thoughts that you would like to leave everyone with? I would just say that if you were listening to this and you're like, okay, this sounds, this all sounds great. I, I, but I still don't buy it. I don't get it. Intuitive. We're all born intuitive eaters. And over time, the trust and the connection erodes, but there is no reason as to why you can't find your intuitive eater. And I really believe that you don't have to a hundred percent buy into this process to start to heal your relationship with food in your body and being on the other side of it. I will say it's 100% worth it living a life with true food freedom and you will just get so much time back, so much mental capacity back. You can build new passions and, you know, focus on your relationships and your work. It's just so worth it. Yes. A hundred percent. Brittany, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to have all your info and your podcast that you co-host linked below guys, please give her a follow and check out her podcast and just thank you again. And I will see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye.